You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Tuesday, and today you'll hear an episode from our Takeover series. Every month, we ask a different practitioner or thought leader to host a series of interviews that cover a specific theme that's relevant to our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here. Welcome to another fun Flip My Funnel podcast takeover series. So I'm always excited when we can have somebody run a full series. And this time it's Epic Takes, Mixtapes from the Customer Experience Podcast run by Ethan. Uh, Ethan is, uh, is the chief evangelist at BombBomb and he's been doing some ridiculously amazing conversations on the idea of customer experience. And he's, he's introducing this series around uh, mixtapes. So Ethan, welcome and thank you for doing this, man. Sure. Thank you so much. I think it's so cool that you open this up. It's a true community spirit and mindset that you open the show up to, uh, to guest takes like this. And I, it's a privilege to be here. All right, so introduce what this series really is all about as people will jump into this every other Tuesday or Thursday as the series unfolds. Awesome, yeah. So I was coming up on episode 100 of the Customer Experience Podcast. I'm bringing together typically sales, marketing, and customer success to talk about how we can be more intentional and aligned in creating and delivering better experiences for customers. But I wanted to do something special because, you know, it's episode 100. So I went back and found some of the best passages that were transcendent of day-to-day operations, that were transcendent of marketing, of sales, of CS. You know, the, these conversations are packed with useful insights, but these individual takes that I chose came from moments where they just transcended it and they're very uh, human-centered, human-focused. I think that's been a consistent theme on the show. So I really devoted that episode and now this series to sharing that. So we're going to hear from some really great guests like, and I think most people listening to the show know David Cancel from Drift, Joey Coleman, author of Never Lose a Customer Again, the director of Runner Experience at Brooks Running, Rachel Ostrander. You are in this series, by the way. You've been on the show twice. One of my friends and co-founders at BombBomb, Darren Dawson, Matt Sweezy from Salesforce, who I know you know and wrote an amazing book called The Context Marketing Revolution. So that's the series. I'm really excited about it. And it's just a privilege to learn and share so many good insights from so many smart and kind people such as yourself. When I'm lucky to be in this. So Ethan, without further ado, let's jump into it as you introduce each and every guest for this entire series. And again, thank you so much for doing this. Congratulations, you've successfully brought on a new customer, but guess what? They are on the clock. You've got 100 days to make them a customer for life. According to today's guest, who you are going to love, great energy, great insights. He's a speaker and writer who's deeply steeped in customer experience. He's the founder and chief experience composer at Design Symphony, something he's been doing for more than a dozen years. He's the author of one of the best books that I've read in the past year, Never Lose a Customer Again, Turn Any Sale into Lifelong Loyalty in 100 Days. Joey Coleman, welcome to the Customer Experience Podcast. Thanks so much, Ethan. Absolutely thrilled to be here. I am a huge fan of BombBomb. I'm a huge fan of the work you all are doing in the marketplace and was tickled pink when you reached out and asked if I'd like to come on the show. It's a real honor. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for for participating. And, And 
I didn't know how familiar you were with what we were up to. Uh, and we were just chatting before we hit record. And so I think we'll get into the power of video because in Never Lose a Customer Again, you really provide a number of different ways to employ it for that more personal and human touch. But we'll start here with where I always start, which is define for me and for the listeners customer experience. When I say customer experience, what does that mean to you? What does it conjure? What are its characteristics? Yeah. So to me, customer experience is a feeling. It's the emotions that your customers undergo or navigate through or have thrust upon them by their interactions with you. I think often customer experience and customer service are used interchangeably. And I personally avoid that because I see customer service as being a reactive behavior. What you do when something goes wrong or when the customer raises their hand and says, I need help or I need something. Whereas customer experience is a proactive activity. It's what you do before the customer even raises their hand or maybe even before they become a customer to make them have a deeper connection with your brand or your product or your offering, to make them have a more personal connection with who you are, what you're doing, and to kind of build that into the actual touch points and interactions that you create for them. So you've offered something that's completely holistic. You've identified something that's really important. A lot of people, when, when we talk about how to implement customer experience, will punt it and leave it down in the customer success, customer support team. Have you, you do a ton of speaking, teaching, consulting, writing in, in all of your consultation, like what have you seen or how do you advise people to raise it up out of these silo thing? Because even a really good company where people communicate well across teams and stuff, there's still a silo to, oh, he's a sales guy. Oh, he's a marketing guy. Oh, she's a customer success person. How do we raise this up so that it is integrated from start to finish across these touch points? Sure. Well, I really appreciate that because I grew up in Iowa in a little farming community and you drive past any farm and you see lots of grain silos and silos are absolutely fantastic on a farm and they're absolutely horrific in an organization. I understand why they were created. I understand the benefits of the organizational hierarchy and creating departments based on function. But in 2019 and beyond, that just doesn't work anymore because the customer wants you to have complete insight into their relationship with you. They don't want to be punted down the line to the next division or the next department. So I think it's important for your employees to be able to have a clear lens into the full scope of the relationship with the customer. As it relates to the experience and how do we elevate that conversation out of customer success, I think we have a couple of challenges historically that are starting to change. Number one, if you look at the bulk of CEOs and senior leadership teams, they came up through the ranks of sales or marketing. They didn't come up through the ranks of account management. It's not a criticism on how they got there. It's the reality of the path that depending on whose studies you look at represents 40 to 70% of senior executives. So the CEO is predisposed to acquisition over retention, just by the very nature of their own personal career. On top of that, we throw economics. Economics shares that more money is spent on marketing and sales and acquiring than is spent on retention. So in many organizations where the dollars go is where the attention goes, there's a predisposition to focus on bringing them in the door instead of keeping them once they've come in the door. The third problem we run into, and this gets to those silos issue, is in very few organizations is customer experience its own silo. Usually it's reporting up to whom? 
sales or marketing who are predisposed to talk about acquisition instead of retention. So we have hierarchical issues, we have structural issues, we have budgetary issues, and that doesn't even begin to be the tip of the iceberg when we consider the phrase that for many years was the mantra in businesses around the world, this is business, not personal. And so this belief that we were supposed to isolate feeling and emotion from a business interaction or people saying, Joey, you don't understand. We sell B2B. Okay, this is business to business. Well, folks, at the end of the day, there's a human at the other side of that. This is H to H. This is human to human. And the research actually shows that even in a B2B setting, when a customer in a B2B environment makes a purchase, they still feel the same buyer's remorse that a customer who makes an individually personalized purchase feels. And in fact, the stakes may even be higher because in your home life, if you purchase the wrong rice cooker, no one's getting fired. In your business world, if you sign up for the wrong CRM software or buy the wrong HR platform or buy the wrong chairs for the office, you might end up losing your job based on your B2B purchase decision. So I think there's a lot of reasons why customer experience ends up not being a bigger part of the conversation. But what we're starting to see with the most cutting edge and progressive firms is elevating that role, creating a chief experience officer who reports directly to the CEO, not to another person in the C-suite. So that voice of the customer, no pun intended, is being heard more often. So good. I I think the, um, well, I'm just going to give you a line from the book to pick up on that was right there. This, you know, you're talking about the the connection, which human connection, personal connection, personalized, customized. These are all words that are very well seen throughout the book, but you, you wrote to never lose a customer again, you must meet your customers where they are in their emotional journey. Talk about, because you know, where you are here is one really important aspect to connecting is empathy. And I, I read empathy there, like this meeting people where they are emotionally, it, to me is the medium and more fun way to say empathy. Why is empathy so important? I think you've already talked about why it's hard, right? Where, where there's a cultural shift that needs to happen to be sincere and to practice real customer empathy as opposed to, you know, leaving a seminar and saying like, I heard about empathy and I feel different. Like right. there's a gap there. And it, you talked about some of the historical structural foundations that prevent it. But, you know, why is empathy so important and, and how are people doing that well? What does that look like in real life? Ethan, I love that you alighted on the concept of empathy because you're right. I don't refer to it by specific word necessarily in the book. And that was a conscious decision on my part that I don't think we're there yet. I think we're close. That's going to be a future book because I think that empathy is going to become the great differentiator in business. And here's why. The computers, the AI, the robots can figure out everything else very quickly and very easy. The hardest thing, if you talk to AI researchers, for them to figure out is going to be empathy. And the problem is empathy, which I would imagine you and I would agree is one of the most useful skills as a human being to have, is a skill that is in general is not taught in any education model. If you want to find it in a book, you really have to look hard. And what you usually get is something that is way overly technical about the science and the psychology of emotion or very lip service. Oh yeah, you need to be more empathetic. I think the benefit of empathy in a business setting is that it acknowledges the emotional journey the customer's on. See, the most obvious place this shows up is right after the purchase. 
Now, I imagine all of your listeners are familiar, the great majority are familiar with the phrase buyer's remorse. The research shows us that when we make a purchase, even though we're excited about the purchase, dopamine floods our brain, we feel joy, happiness, euphoria. This is going to be the product or the service that's the answer to our dreams. Almost as quickly as we make that purchase, the clock starts ticking. And as the dopamine recedes, those feelings are of joy, euphoria, and excitement are replaced by feelings of fear and doubt and uncertainty. In common parlance, buyer's remorse. The problem with that from a business setting is while we're all back at the head office, high-fiving and celebrating that we just landed the new client, the client is sitting in their office alone, wondering if they made the right decision. We're at an emotional peak. They're in an emotional trough. And if we don't acknowledge the delta between those two points and take action to close the delta between those two points. We're in for a pretty nightmarish ride going forward where one party in the relationship is feeling joy, euphoria, and excitement. The other one is feeling fear, doubt, and uncertainty. And uh, if you've ever gone to a horror movie with somebody who doesn't like scary movies, that's kind of a reference point maybe from our personal lives where we can see they don't want anything to do with it. They want to get out of it as quickly as possible. And if we don't address that, we're in for problems. So you said we're on the clock in this scenario and part of the subtitle there is the 100 days. Is, it, is there magic to the first 100 days? It's about three months. It's a quarter, a little bit more than a quarter to use, you know, business. Sure. Outside of business, is anyone thinking quarters? Uh, no, not that I'm aware. I, I think uh, I think football players right, may, totally. but it's a completely yeah. different context, right? right? So, yeah. so yeah, talk about talk about the clock and talk about the hundred days. Maybe in this specific buyer's remorse dynamic, but be, but even above that, like why? What is that window all about? Yeah. So the the what fascinates me, and this is where the original genesis for the whole idea behind Never Lose a Customer Again came from. I found myself reading a study one night, and yeah, that's how exciting my life was, on bank retention, bank customer retention. And what the study pointed out was the fact that 32% of people who open a new bank account will have closed that bank account before the one-year anniversary. I don't know if you've opened a bank account recently, Ethan. It's not fun. It's not a joyous. It takes a long time. You have to go in in person. You have to show ID. You have to give them money. You have to wait to your old account till all the checks or the payments clear. You have to set up direct deposit. You have to get a new ATM card, maybe new checks. It's not fun. And yet almost a third of those people leave before the one-year anniversary. But what really got my attention is that over half of those people leave in the first 100 days. And I started looking at how banks behaved and they reward new client signup bonuses somewhere between day 90 and 100. Why? Because they've learned that if they keep you to day 101 in the typical bank, they'll keep you as a customer for a minimum of five years. This sparked curiosity in me. And it led me to say, if bankers, who as a general rule, usually pay pretty close attention to the bottom line and the numbers, are willing to accept 32% annual churn, annual defection. What about folks that don't pay attention to the bottom line? And what I found in looking at industries around the world from every corner that you might imagine is that somewhere between 20 and 80% of new customers will either actually leave your business in the first 100 days or will mentally check out and decide that when the term of their contract is over, they will not renew. I think this is the biggest threat facing business today that hardly anyone is talking about. Why? Because it's not as sexy to talk about retention as it is to talk about acquisition. And as a result, companies are bleeding out. They're hemorrhaging off the side of their operations and nobody seems to be paying attention. 
Yeah, we call that selling out of a hole. I mean, obviously, as a software company on a subscription basis, monthly or annual, you know, it's obviously a big deal that we pay attention to. And we look at it as selling out of a hole. It's like, why are we going to make acquisition, build the company out of a hole and we need to yeah, it's tough. Yeah. Um, well, and what's interesting in the software com- industry, if I may, the group of people that have figured this out the most are the VCs that specialize in software as a service. Because if you look what's happening in Silicon Valley and in the VC world, they are giving enhanced valuations to companies that have smaller churn rate. It's the first time that across an entire industry, this is happening at scale. And the valuations are anywhere from three to five X greater for a company that has has a lower churn rate than the exact same product with a higher churn rate. So they've figured it out. And as the old line in VCs and uh, politics goes, follow the money. Wherever the money is going, that's usually the trend that you want to be part of, which is paying more attention to your churn and defection. So important because it speaks to all the things that... To me, if, if you have a very, very low churn rate, it's not just about the churn rate and the ability to stack the revenue in the SaaS model, even though it is the upstream implications of that are that you're doing so many things well uh, that you must be a well-run company, you know, who's providing a great customer experience. So, um, and that's just the outbound perception. What about the internal perception of employee experience? So what we find is that we enhance customer experience. We by default enhance employee experience. They're two sides of the same coin. And so as your customer retention increases, your employee retention increases. And if we look at two of the biggest line item costs in most businesses, businesses, it's the amount of money they're spending on people and the amount of money they're spending on marketing and sales. So if I can help you improve the margins in both of those, I dramatically increase the overall profitability of your organization. And we don't even, so for the bean counters, that makes them happy. But for the people who have hearts, not to say that bean counters don't, it makes them happy because they feel better about coming to work. Morale goes through the roof. And I will say that is the thing that I have noticed the most from companies who have implemented the methodologies I talk about in the book and have implemented a first 100 days strategy. The number of personal messages I get from readers and people who've been in the audience when I speak that say, Joey, the thing that shocked me was I'm keeping my employees. My employees are more excited to come to work. They're coming up with better ideas. They're going the extra mile. They're doing more. And it's like, wow, the correlation and the connection between these two is so strong, but most companies never get to that conversation. Yeah, it's pride and ownership where you can flip that switch with half or two thirds or three quarters of the team members. It's just a, it's a, a positive upward spiral or a halo effect or whatever you want to say to like, we're getting more good than we ever thought out of it. So good. So in the book, one of the things that got me excited, and thank you again for mentioning your uh, awareness and appreciation of what we're doing with our business. You talk a lot about video and that got me so excited because it's something I've been thinking about and talking about and practicing and teaching sure. for years myself. But, you know, you do it through your, we, we, we won't get into the details of your eight part framework. I recommend that you go out and purchase. Uh, this is for the listeners, not you, Joey. I, I can see you already have a couple, <laughs> couple copies here. I, I cannot recommend highly enough. Never lose a customer again. It's fun to read. It's super practical. And there's an eight part framework from 
before this person is even close to being a customer all the way through retention and advocacy. Uh, and it's a really smart play. But what got me really excited about reading it, just what lit me up was all the applications that you saw for video. Can you talk a little bit about, you gave in the book at the end of every chapter, really provocative questions and really practical next steps around, um, you basically make, uh, give video equal footing as in-person, email, on the phone, et cetera. You break down the different channels that we can use to connect and communicate with people and you give video equal weight, which I haven't seen in a book like yours before. So um, I, I was just excited to ask you about video a little bit. What, what about video is so exciting for you and what are some of the great moments in a well-delivered customer experience that, uh, that you've seen that really got you excited? Well, a couple of thoughts on that, Ethan. Number one, I think video is uniquely positioned halfway between the digital world and the analog world. And what I mean by that is it gives us the closest approximation of an in-person meeting without having to be in person. So it gives us all the benefits of being able to do connection at a distance and at scale without needing to physically go there. But because they can actually see us and they can watch our body language and see our enthusiasm and see the way we're moving, because depending on whose studies you look at, you know, what, 60 to 90 percent of what we read and why we trust someone or appreciate them is what we can see visually. It allows us to bridge that gap. Number two, and part of the reason I love what you've done with BombBomb is it's a technology that is actually pretty easy to use and your software makes it incredibly easy to use in an era where it's only recently become easy to use. It used to be if you want to send a customer a video, you better have a full-time videographer on staff to shoot the video, to edit the video, to add music in, et cetera. Whereas now the research actually shows, at least in a sales context, a handheld selfie video shot on an iPhone with poor lighting and adequate sound converts better than a studio shot video. Why? Because it feels more authentic. It feels more real. Additionally, we're at a weird time in human history where right now video sent via text message right? So either FaceTime videos or some quick shot video that's texted over are generally reserved for communications with immediately immediate family members, being on the road and sending a video back home for the kids to watch, connecting on FaceTime with grandma and grandpa on Sunday night, whatever it may be. So we're at this interesting conflux or period in time where these type of personal videos are normally reserved for family. And there's barely a company on the planet that I can't go to their website and find some mention of the fact that when you become a customer of ours, you become Acme Corp family. We consider you as family, that kind of messaging. The fact that we might use a communication tool that's already predisposed or supposed to be a tool for family members in a business context, I think takes the relationship to another level very quickly. Now, when it comes to examples of company using videos, oh my gosh, you're right. I mean, there's 46 case studies in the book. I tried to, from small, medium, and large companies from all around the world, I tried to pick companies that were doing really creative things. Couple quick touches. Number one, there's a company called Zogix that's an online e-commerce business that makes gym wipes, okay? I don't know if you've ever been in the gym working out and you've seen the residue of the human who worked out before you on the bench. 
Well, gym wipes allow you in an environmentally friendly antiseptic way to clean off that bench so there isn't a non-voluntary DNA transfer. Okay? They sell their gym wipes online. You go online. There are many businesses that sell online that are dying to have a human connection with their customers, right? Because they never meet them in person. What Sachix does is that is brilliant is the day that you buy, they send you a confirmation email. Now, a lot of e-commerce companies send confirmation emails. Zajix embeds a video that has a picture and or a GIF of the employee holding a clipboard that says, thank you, Ethan, or thank you, Joey, or thank you, the name of the customer, right? So immediately you see that as the thumbnail. You want to click play, right? In the same way that you're holding up a sign right now. You've yeah, got, you know, send one. yeah, exactly. So if somebody holds up that video, they're going to watch. And what they do is they watch through the video. It just thanks them from the order. It's personally shot. It's less than a minute long. Here's the interesting thing. There's actually a mistake in the book. And every author hates it when there's a mistake in the book, right? But it's the nature of publishing. About two weeks after the book came out, the CEO of Zajix called me and he goes, Joey, we gave you the wrong data. I'm like, oh man, are you kidding me? What's, what's the problem? He goes, we gave you the wrong data on how many of the people that get the confirmation video actually watch it. And I was like, oh, and I'm, I'm, my stomach just drops. He says, yeah, we didn't have it properly connected on the back end. So as it turns out, the number we gave you was too small. It's 78% of our customers watch the video completely on a confirmation video. Now, any of your listeners that work in e-commerce know the typical read rate on a confirmation email is somewhere between 4 and 8% across all industries. If you've got a 78% watch to completion rate with somebody that you have no relationship other than they just gave you some money to buy your product that they've never received or never tried before, you're doing something right. So that's one example of a company that is incredibly using video in a way that I don't think many companies are using video to create that kind of personal and personalized connection really early in the first hundred days. I like that you drew out there personal versus personalized. It's a line I like to draw out a lot. Like to me, I, I use personalized for the varied variable data inserts or the really nice Netflix email. Like, Hey, Joe, you watched the first five seasons of parks and rec. Guess what? Season six is available. Right. Might like it. And I do. And that's awesome. It's personalized. It's super relevant. I forward it to my wife or you might forward it to your wife or whatever. And, and, you know, it's really helpful, but this personal element where you let someone know that it's just for him or her, just walk that out for people. Uh, because I think one of the themes I want to explore in these conversations with smart people like you is, you know, we need to be able to scale our businesses. And, and so personalized and customized machine driven, even if there's a human touching it at some point is great. But when when in a scaled business can we afford to get truly personal? Because I think a lot of people say, well, I don't have time for that. I can't afford that. Of course, implied in everything you shared so far in the book is, I don't know that you can afford not to do it. Right, but, exactly. Right, right. But, but coach, people, coach people into that a little bit. Like when, when can you rely on the machine and when do you need a real human to put a real moment into the experience in the life cycle? Yeah. I mean, at this point, Ethan, I think it's probably more art than science. It's difficult to know exactly when you need to do it, but I'll tell you how I usually see it play out. Typically, when somebody starts a business, 
they are hyper-personal in their communications. Why? Because they have one or two customers. They can afford to be. They have all the time in the world. They've finally got someone to sign on for their product or their service, and they're holding that person very carefully in the palm of their hand, creating personal communications with them in every touch, right? They're right there. But then if we've done our job right, our business grows and we start to have some level of success. We hire more employees, which by default makes the connections less personal because you have more people serving the same client, people serving the client who they may never meet or may not even know is serving them behind the scenes. Not to mention we have more clients. So then we have a tendency to shift from the personal to the personalized in the ideal scenario. We create more generic things that are personalized or we use machine learning or AI to be able to make messages that feel personalized like the Amazon and Netflix recommendations. But we all know is a computer doing that, not a human. In my experience, the best companies are the ones that come full circle. That once that is established, they layer new icing on top of it that brings it back to the personal. And now they call out the specific messages. It doesn't take that much to send a personal message to a client once a quarter. It really doesn't. Even if you just said, all the clients I'm responsible for, today is the third Friday of the second month of the quarter, and this is my personal day, where all I'm going to do is shoot videos and send custom messages or custom emails or call my clients or go visit them in person, and I'm going to really make it about them, not me. You don't have to do this all the time. The pushback I get from most folks is, Joey, you can't do this at scale. It's too hard. Well, you know what? Business is hard. That's what you signed up for. If you didn't want to sign up to be in business, there's a lot of other jobs you can go do that aren't as hard as running a business, okay? And I think you need to, uh, most business owners need to do a better job of empathizing and teaching their employees about the importance of this. Because here's something I've come across recently too. I've I've observed this for a while, but it kind of um, got brought into the big picture very recently. You can't ask your employees to create a remarkable experience for your customers if they have no idea what a remarkable experience is. And the bar for customer experience, at least in the United States, and I would posit globally, is lying on the ground, okay? There's, the typical person has very little context. Quick story on how this came up. I was working with a CEO. He wanted to bring me in to work with his whole team. He said, Joey, we want to deliver first-class Ritz-Carlton white glove service. I said, great. We got everybody together. I said, Here, here's a question. Before we start the day-long workshop, I'd like to ask some questions and raise your hand if uh, this applies to you. How many of you have ever flown first class? The CEO proudly raised his hand. The head of sales raised his hand. No one else raised their hand. I said, great. How many of you have ever stayed at a Ritz-Carlton? The CEO raised his hand. The CE or the head of sales put the hand down and no one else had their hand up. He said, okay, last question. How many of you have ever had a meal where it was delivered by waiters wearing white gloves? Even the CEO put his hand down. I turned to the CEO and I said, it's very difficult to ask our team to deliver first class Ritz-Carlton white glove service if they don't know what that is. And I think the same thing applies to every business. If you want your employees to deliver remarkable experiences, you need to be a remarkable employer. You need to deliver remarkable experiences to them. And once they have a taste, they're going to want to pay it forward. They're going to want to give it to other people. And they're going to have a context for what that looks like. And they're, above all, they're going to know how it feels to be on the receiving end. And once, you, I mean, you said it before, you said it before I just, put it together now, like knowing how it actually feels and being able to a recognize how fun and exciting it is to experience it. And then 
on the other side, how fun and exciting it is to watch people experience it or get those email replies or to get those unsolicited pieces of feedback from your customers as you're doing this. It just lights them up. I love this this theme of this relationship between employees and customers and having to, to model the behavior right and being able to experience it, that the best way to deliver great customer experience is to deliver great uh, employee experience. It reminds me of the service profit chain, which is a really great research piece that links all of these things. It starts with internal service quality and hiring, interviewing, hiring, onboarding, training, equipping everybody well, produces that loyalty and satisfaction that they need. In, in turn, light the customers up on and it begets the things that we spend all of our time focusing on, which is revenue growth and, and those types of long down the line outcomes. But it starts exactly where you are right here with employees who truly understand what it feels like to receive what the boss is asking to be delivered. Now, I think it's easy for people to, especially with all the great stories you tell to say, well, you know, this happiness, surprise, delight, wow moment thing is what we're really shooting for. But I feel like what is overlooked oftentimes when we talk about customer experience and and share some of these stories is is the desired result or the desired outcome. Can you talk about the role of that? It's not like well, give them the result and then surprise and delight them. Like right. talk about the relationship there so that no one misses the site that this isn't just about doing mm-hmm. crazy, delightful, over the top stuff for people. It's actually giving people exactly what they paid for. Absolutely. Well, and I appreciate that distinction, Ethan, because let's say you go out to a really fancy restaurant and you order your meal and the waiter comes over and he says, Mr. Coleman, it's my pleasure to present you with your meal, but it's the wrong meal. I don't care how nice the lead-in sentence was. I'm not happy. I'm not getting what I ordered. When I originally put together the eight phases of the customer journey, I'll be honest, there were only seven. And a good buddy of mine, Michael Port, fellow author, speaker, heard me speaking and he was like, Joey, I think you're missing a phase. And I sat with that. I kid you not, for almost a year. It was about nine months. And I was in the process of writing the book. And I'm like, what am I missing? What am I missing? And I realized I was missing phase six of the eight phases the accomplish phase. And what dawned on me is it was so obvious to me, and I don't say that from a place of ego, that you had to deliver the product or the service they wanted, that I had missed that many companies don't do that, right? And so I went back and I looked at it and the accomplish phase is what happens when a prospect decides to do business with you back when they're just kicking tires in the marketing and sales part of the relationship, or as I call it, the assess part of the phase. They have a goal in mind. They have something they're hoping to accomplish. If you don't navigate them through to accomplishing that goal, they will never become a doctor. They will never be loyal. They will never become an advocate referring new business to you. So you have to get that done. And you have to remember that that's what we want to deliver. That's what we want to focus on. We need to keep eyes on the prize that we have these surprise and delight moments around it in how we deliver it. But if we don't get them to the finish line, we haven't achieved this. A good buddy of mine, Phil Jones, who's also a fantastic speaker and writer in the sales space, was recently, I was in the audience while he was speaking and he was telling this uh, analogy about a wedding dress. So when somebody's buying a wedding dress, if you ask people who sell wedding dresses, what is the person hoping to accomplish? What is the finish line? It's wearing the wedding dress on the wedding day. But that would be incorrect. Really what they're hoping to accomplish is to get the photos back from the wedding day and believe that they looked beautiful in that dress. 
So if we're moving our way to the finish line, but our customer has a different idea of what the finish line is, and it's 10 yards past where we are, it's like trying to sprint in a 100-yard race and stopping at the tape. That's a mistake. All the best world-class runners run through the tape. They set a finish line 10 yards behind what the person actually wants. So if nothing else, I think looking at what the customer has said they want and really deciding if that's really what they want or if there's something further beyond that that should be your internal target that you're trying to get them to. That singular shift in thinking, I've seen revolutionize businesses and how they operate and treat their customers. I think running through the tape is such an easy and powerful visual piece. You know, if you're running through the tape, you're hitting the end of the race as defined, right? And in this case, hitting the desired result at full speed, right? And so that the caution of not running through the tape is like you're going to slow down and maybe not even get there. You wrote a line toward the end of the book and it, it made me, it jumped off the page to me and it made me think, Well, it it reminded me of how I think about some of the work that I'm doing every day and what gets me really excited um, and keeps me coming back as excited as I was seven years ago. And and it's this, remarkable customer experiences have the potential to create a happier world. That this work, it's not just about providing satisfied employees, although that is part of making a happier world. It's not just about making happier customers, although that's part of a happier world. It's not just about hitting your financial targets, which is also part of a happier world for you and whoever you report up to and whoever that person reports out to. Why did you take it to such a high level? And and what do you mean in that statement? Because it feels really big to me and aspirational and it just got me all lit up. Well, I appreciate that because that was the intention with which it was written. And I will tell you that some of the people that read the book in advance pushed back on it a little and were like, Joey, you're, you're getting a little hoochie-poochie. You've been really tactical. You've been strategic. You've been giving us case studies, how to do questions. And now at the end, you're going to get all soft and fluffy. Why is that? Why else are we here? Why else do we get up in the morning? Why do we choose to leave the people we love the most, our spouse, our significant others, our children, our friends, and go to an office or log on to work and do something all day, every day, if not to improve the planet, if not to improve our place in the planet, our friend's place in the planet, our client's place in the planet, our coworkers' place in the planet. I really believe that it has the opportunity to make for a happier planet. And here's why. And it's not just a, a soft statement. You, you hinted at it before. We live in an era where if we look at a technology analysis, we are more connected than in any other time in human history. I've had the opportunity in the last two weeks to literally fly to the other side of the world and meet people who I had never met other than through LinkedIn. I've had the opportunity to jet back and forth here, there, and everywhere to do Zoom calls, Skype calls, connect with all kinds of people who I've never met and never will meet. And yet, if you look at what the psychologist and the psychiatrist are saying and the social scientist, we have never had a time in human history where humans felt more disconnected, alone, vulnerable, unheard. And so I think there is an opportunity by creating remarkable experiences to have our fellow humans feel, even for a moment, that they matter. To have them experience something unexpected that says, even though we've never met, 
even though you just purchased something from me, it would normally be seen as a transactional interaction. I'm going to do my best to make you smile, to make you laugh, to make you feel like you matter. That I think is a huge, big, audacious goal that is actually really easily attained on a case-by-case, person-by-person basis. So good. I just want to let that sit a minute. That like, it's exactly right. I mean, why are we doing all the things that we're doing? And it's it, one of our deepest human needs, of course, is to connect with other people. And, and to your point of it's not personal, it's business. It's not business, it's personal. Like this the separation, it's so nice to, to have someone out there who's consulting with some of the biggest companies on the planet that are really setting the tone for what business culture is like today and know that you're in those rooms helping drive and provoke in this way. And I think uh, there's a lot of kinship out there too. I mean, our mission, as stated on our website, is to rehumanize your business by helping you rehumanize your communication to put the messenger back into the message. But our non-stated or not publicly stated goal is to rehumanize the planet. We want people to work in a more personal and human way and to get those connections that you're talking about. I mean, when you can't fly halfway around the world to meet those people, I've always called it be there in person when you can't be there in person. You know, more recently, it's make any email as warm, personal and effective as an in-person appointment. So there's a lot of kinship here. Hey, I, I could obviously go all day because I have 14 more questions that I just lined out in case <laughs> I, them. I didn't expect that I would. And I didn't. Um, I, relationships are our number one core value here. And so I always like to give folks who spend this kind of time with me and with our listeners a chance to thank or mention someone who's had a, a positive impact on his or her life or career and to prop up a company that's doing some of these things that you think are important in delivering customer experience, uh, someone who's doing it uh, a good way. So do you have any you like to shout out? Oh, wow. There, you know, <laughs> it's kind of like asking somebody who has multiple kids to name their favorite. Totally. Right? Um, you know, it's, it's a challenge. Uh, there's so many. I mean, as I mentioned, there's 46 that are in the book. There's yeah, hundreds and hundreds. And I was like, is this a yeah, yeah, it's funny. The dedication, it's interesting you bring that up. Um, the, the acknowledgments at the end of the book were uh, 16 pages long. And when I did that, the publisher was like, you need to cut this down a little. And even my agent, I love my agent dearly. He's like, Joey, you're going to write more books. And I was like, but on the off chance that I don't, if I get hit by a bus, if something goes awry, I need to thank all the people that brought me to this place. Because it wasn't just the people here in the last year or two years or five years or almost 20 years that I've been doing customer experience. It was all of those people. So there are so many folks to mention. Let me take this in two different directions, if I may. The recovering attorney in me always likes to answer a question by changing the question and making the rules fit my own way. People that somebody inspires me in a business that inspires me. They're The business has people that inspire me too, but we'll do two different approaches. So the person who inspires me, I'm going to go right now with my two sons, Lachlan and Shellen. They are five and three. What inspires me about them is they are 100% experiential. 100%. All day, every day, morning, noon, and night. You have to be present with them. You have to be creating experience with them. You have to be creating connection with them. They are a daily and regular reminder of what the actual standard in humanity is when we start, 
And then it gets trampled and tamped down over time and we begin to accept less. I want to change that. I want to get it back to what it was when we were kids. In terms of a company, there's a fairly new brand. I'd say they've been in business for about maybe 18 months. Uh, hopefully, I'm getting that right. Called Pila Case. P-E-L-A Case. They make an environmentally friendly, 100% compostable cell phone case. Their story is absolutely incredible about why they do this. And I think more and more, I'm going to go on a little rant if I can, Ethan. If we sit around and wait for the governments of the world to solve these environmental crises, we all get to burn together. I'm sorry. I worked in politics. I grew up in politics. I love politicians. I know that sounds crazy, but I love the service ethic of government. But it is moving so slow in a world that is moving so fast that it is far past the time for businesses to take the lead on this, in my personal opinion. Pila Case is one of these companies that said, look, we're not going to sit around anymore. People are buying cell phone cases. And every time they get a new cell phone, of course, it's a different model and a different design and a different size. So they have to throw out the phone and the case. We're going to create a case that instead of throwing it out, you plan it in the backyard. It's compostable. You can grow stuff in it. And I love companies that are doing that. And their story has caught fire. They are growing at an incredible rate. And one of the reasons I love them as a company is, and hopefully he's okay with me sharing this publicly, the CEO just reached out to me as a buddy of mine. And uh, we've known each other for a while as friends. We've never formally worked together. And he said, can we get on the call? Because I want to talk about how to do customer experience at scale. What do we do when we are selling in retail stores around the world and online and offline? And we know who some of our customers are, but we don't know who all of them are. How do we get them engaged, not only as customers and in experience, but engaged in our mission of making a better planet? That's the kind of conversation that has me excited. That's the kind of conversation that I think the most forward thinking and successful businesses on the planet are starting to think about. And that's why Pila Case is somebody that I'm paying attention to. So good. And you're exactly right. I could, I could monologue as well about the role and really the responsibility and the opportunity that business has to solve so many problems. And, uh, in, I don't know if you read the responsible company from Yvonne Schwinnard and the CMO at Patagonia, but it's, you know, yeah. problems on an industrial scale can be solved on an industrial scale. And government regulation is not solving problems on an industrial scale. We, I, we do need some of it. Anyway. Oh, we, so, yeah, of course. But we need to counter it with something other than high paid, high powered right. lobbyists who write loopholes in so that the biggest offenders can get out. And that's not just me going on an environmental rant for anybody that's on the other side. I'm just asking you to look at your own personal consumption and ask yourself, is that more or less than your parents? And is it more or less than your grandparents? All the statistics show it is exponentially more. Oh, and there's more people. So at some point, something breaks. I don't know about you. It's getting hotter in the summer. It's getting colder in the winter. I don't like that. And that makes me nervous. Well, and in addition to, is it more than your parents? Is it more than you need? Right. Like, totally. Totally. Want is a thing. And we, and, and there's some, there's some upside to satisfying some of your wants and scratching some of these more superficial itches, but the conflation of wants and needs, I think, drives a lot of the, uh, a lot of the trouble that we're in. Agreed. 
Okay, now I, I now I need to drive up and spend it, spend whatever time you have for me. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'd love to. Okay. Hey, before we let you go, um, thank you for that. By the way, how can people connect with you? What's the best way to uh, to learn more about Never Lose a Customer again? To connect with you to to learn more. If if a few of these ideas were really exciting or inspirational for people, what's the next step they can take? Sure. A couple ways. Number one, the book is called Never Lose a Customer Again. It's available everywhere you might buy a book. We've got a hardcover. We've got an ebook. I always say on podcasts, we also have an audiobook, which you've enjoyed listening to me. I actually narrate the audiobook. So I will read you the book as you go to sleep or as you work out. So happy to have you check that out. That'd be amazing. I also have a podcast called The Experience This Show. It's a weekly show, about 30 minutes, where we do little snippets of customer experience delight. We tell the positive stories. We're all about celebrating the businesses, the organizations, the nonprofits, the governmental entities that are doing remarkable things that need to be celebrated. And we have got a lot of different segment types. We have some fun with that. Um, The best way to connect with me is on my website. It's joeycoleman.com. J-O-E-Y, like a five-year-old you probably know somewhere. Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N, like the camping equipment, but no relation. joeycoleman.com. There you'll find more information about me, my work, blog posts, videos, etc. And uh, would love to have more people join the conversation because my goal is to raise that bar that as I described is on the ground. And the way it's going to get raised is by more people not only expecting remarkable experiences when they do business with other organizations, but delivering remarkable customer experiences to their customers, their friends and their family alike. So good. An important mission. And you're obviously sincere about it. And your enthusiasm is contagious. And uh, so uh, thank you for those opportunities for folks to follow up. Hey, if you're listening to this and you enjoyed the time you spent with Joey Coleman today, it would be so helpful to me and to the podcast and to other people who need to hear this conversation, ones like it, to go leave a review at uh, Apple Podcasts or iTunes. I appreciate you so much for listening. Thank you, Joey, for your time. I really, really enjoyed it. And, uh, Uh, continued success to you. Thanks, Ethan. Appreciate being on the show. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.